Welcome to the Compliance Time AML and Financial Crime Podcast. Here, you can learn from compliance experts, enthusiasts and creators who are contributing to the fast-moving and dynamic field of financial compliance. Hello everyone and welcome to Compliance Time. In this episode, guest on the podcast is Skip Shiphorst, an open source intelligence language course developer and instructor who served 17 years in the Dutch Ministry of Defense. He deployed to several regions during which his language and cultural skills were used. Skip, who holds a university degree in China studies, has a keen interest in how to incorporate languages within the OSINT spectrum. He works at high intelligence and their OSINT language courses include Chinese, Arabic, as well as Russian. These courses show researchers that do not speak these languages how to find information online for CDD, AML, KYC, and many more research purposes. Stay with us until the end of the episode to hear what has Skip prepared for Compliance Time listeners. And now, let's jump into the conversation with Skip. Hi, Skip, and welcome to Compliance Time. I'm really happy to host our discussion today. That's going to be on the relevant topics, and we're going to learn so many new things from you, I'm sure. Awesome, Denissa. Thank you so much for having me uh, on this uh, this podcast. Really looking forward to it, represent uh intelligence. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. So uh, let's start by telling us about yourself and your career path. Uh, so the career path is everything but logical how I ended up here. Mm-hmm. So I do actually do not have a background in uh, computer research or open source intelligence or compliance for that matter. I have uh, uh, I had a very long uh, uh uh, several years in the in the military in the Dutch Marine Corps. So I started that in 1997, and then uh, finished in 2012, uh, where I did everything that had nothing to do with computers, the internet, or keyboards. Uh, very different kind of uh, work. I actually specialized in things that, not, that had nothing to do with uh, the digital spectrum. Everything a bit outside. Lots of uh, active things I wanted to pursue as a young guy. So lots of parachuting, lots of uh, traveling to different continents, and doing. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, how I got into what I'm doing now uh, is after my time in the Marine Corps, I decided to, or I decided I, I had to change something due to a, um, an accident I had at work, so I couldn't continue that path, uh, So, which medically retired me. I went to study Chinese at university as an older uh, as an older student, I studied in the Netherlands. I studied everything that has to do with China, the language, the history, the economics, uh, classical Chinese. I spent some time studying in China as a language program and then went a few times to Taiwan uh, to brush up on my uh, Chinese skills. And how I got into uh, online research in foreign languages is, to make a very long story a bit shorter, is... Uh, During my studies, when I had to write essays, whether in English, Dutch, or in Chinese, I found myself finding information uh, by accident, I think, especially foreign languages. And I kind of thought about a way to maybe make it easier for people that don't speak a language at all on how to find information in a certain language. And I was able to uh, develop those skills on my own. And then uh, I started working for iIntelligence. It's a small company based in Switzerland, been around for 12 years. And they're the amazing uh, 
team that uh, uses me to teach people how to research in a foreign language. So yeah, been doing that for uh, for about two and a half years, and it's uh, it's great. That's really interesting. I, I love stories about how people um, end up on a certain place and a certain time um, because I, I find it unique and I think everyone can, uh, you know, uh, listen and learn from the experience of others. Um, but can you also tell us about the language and online research course that you have prepared? What's, what is it about? What are some of the key components? Yeah, great. So, uh, of course, uh, I started with uh, focusing really on Chinese, which was my strong part uh, of languages. So I speak several languages, but I would say the language, the foreign language I learned, which I'm the least worse at or best at, whatever you want to call it, would be Chinese. Uh, so I knew, I knew there was a very big demand for uh, people uh, wishing to research Chinese sources. So I started with that course. It's a... Uh, uh, it's a five half day course where I teach people really focused on teaching people that don't speak the language, how to find information in Chinese, uh, whether you're a financial investigator, whether you work for an NGO, if you work for a bank, you have to do some KYC, know your client, governments, law enforcement, uh, human anti-trafficking or anti-human trafficking stuff. Um, so I really focused on developing that course with the mindset of teaching people that don't know the language, how to find stuff, because the common narrative is within many of these um, um, uh, places where they do online research or academic research is if you want to do so, you have to be a native speaker or a near fluent speaker, or you have to be somebody that's really skilled at online research, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's a fancy word for nerd. Uh, but actually, with a couple of simple tricks, it's actually quite easy to find information in the foreign language by applying some uh, uh, some of the methods that I've been uh, developing. So, for an example, uh, on the very first day, I actually teach people how to write and type in Chinese in order to find information. Uh, so from there, we go to how to research online, how to research uh, using different browsers like Baidu and Google, of course, using keywords, uh, checking out social media. How can you get a sentiment of what's happening uh, online in China? How to research. I spend a full day or half day on how to research companies in China um, that are based there, how to find the uh, ultimate beneficiaries and all that stuff, which will help you uh, advance your uh, information position. And on the very last day of the course, I uh, have an ex I, I do final training exercises where people have to find uh, different documents or information in Chinese without knowing the language. And that's actually the funnest part of the course because it's always great to see people that don't speak a word of Chinese uh, actually able to research uh, in Chinese in detail on the last day and actually find information within a few Second, so this is pretty useful, I would say, for companies that do have native speakers. Uh, they the pressure on those is pretty high. If you have a native speaker at a at a KYC uh, uh, bureau at a bank, you're constantly going to be dealing with people asking for your help because you're a native speaker. In in this case, Chinese, right? And the the whole idea of the course is to free up a bit those native speaker or specialists. Uh, because you can do a lot yourself without knowing the language. And, and that way, freeing those language specialists to do more in-depth research 
et cetera. Um, so I did that for about a year with Chinese. I'm still doing it every uh, every month. We teach online and in person. And since last year, we've been teaching, uh, I've been teaching the uh, Arabic course. Exactly the same setup, how to search uh, information in Arabic if you don't speak Arabic. Same setup, five sessions, uh, five half-day sessions. And since this year, we uh, have started giving the uh, Russian OSINT course, how to research Russian sources if you don't speak Russian. But that's not me. My Russian isn't good yet, near good. That's my my good colleague that uh, uh, that actually is teaching that course. It's a fun course. And it's, a, it's a course I attend uh, I plan to attend a few times because uh, uh, Russian is the latest language I've started uh, working on. But it's not that easy because I'm finding the older you get, the more difficult uh, information or languages stick to the brain, right? Oh, yeah, there, there is certainly that. Um, but that's really fantastic. I remember when I was uh, I was working with many analysts, so... Finding things in Chinese used to be a very, very difficult thing, you know. But once you, um, for example, learn certain steps, how to search in Baidu or, you know, how to um, copy paste certain things in certain order, as you mentioned, you know, you start finding things. But your course sounds really, really interesting. Um, and that it goes so much in depth that without speaking the language, you can find certain documents. I, I, I think this is really exciting. And I think it can help so many people who want to improve their research skills and become better in compliance, because that's, um, that, that is really important in, um, in the job that we do. Because the, the Chinese, as you said, is one of uh, the things that you're best. So can you tell us what are some of the main challenges in finding companies online in China when you compare it with other regions, like, for example, uh, in the West or somewhere in the East? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, what's your view on that? Yeah, sure. So in, in layman's terms, searching in Chinese in general um, it is one of the easiest languages to search in online. Uh, due to the the structure and the logic of the language, right? And that's what, why it makes it so easy to search online. Yeah. There are some difficult aspects of the Chinese language, like uh, pronunciation. Uh, not to get on a tangent here, I'll get back to your question, but just to explain how why it's actually quite easy to search in Chinese. Uh, the tones, writing with a pen is difficult, but all those things don't apply when researching online. The grammar is actually uh, much easier than other languages, uh, the verbs are much easier than other languages, making it thus making it easier to research in that language, which is written completely different than what most people or people that haven't been exposed to Chinese are used to. Um, it makes it actually quite easy to uh, to work with the language. Now, going back on your question about uh, some of the challenges with researching Chinese companies, the biggest one obviously would be uh, the Great Firewall, right? If I were to go online and research uh, a company in Spain, I'm pretty sure I can find some uh, some databases or online sources telling me, uh, giving me information about a company in Spain and vice versa, where I'm located, people in Spain can find information on companies where I live. Right. With China, it's a bit different. There's a lot of information accessible online about companies, registries, um, and uh, so on and so forth within China. So when you're in China, you can find all that information, right? When you're from outside of China, the Great Firewall is going to block that and you have to find 
ways to go around that or over it, how to say it in Chinese, climbing over the firewall to get to that information. So it's like a bit, it's it's a bit less straightforward. It's a bit more difficult, but certainly not impossible. And it's actually a lot of information you can find uh, for free without logging in uh, on on different websites. But it, it's a bit like a puzzle. Then it's a you have to go to different websites to get uh, different information. But all those puzzle pieces actually. Uh, um, yeah, make the, the whole picture complete. Of course, there's other companies out there that do a great job at really specializing on finding information in China where it's just a one-click, one-stop shop. Uh, there's a couple out there that are really good, especially uh, in the uh, the Asia region. There's one called Asia Verify, which is a very good one indeed. Um, but other than that, it's it's it does take a bit of time to find information in Chinese on, on, on corporate research. But if that's what you're interested in, uh, there certainly are ways to get to that information by uh, going around. And this is where keywords is so important, right? Find the right the, the right lingo, the right keywords to work with uh, online. That's really interesting. And um, just to ask you, are you familiar with the uh, Chinese commercial code that they use sometimes on transactions? And do you provide some... Um, look into the course like uh, about that do you present any information about them so um so i teach lots of things that are applicable with what i what i uh, teach right some of the things i teach in general are applicable for academics uh some more interested in cybersecurity. some is more applicable for uh people doing uh environmental research or other research or journalists etc right so I don't, I would wish to want to, but I can't get into too many details on, I can't even learn everything that is specific to a certain research, right? Uh, like I said, I, I'm a language person. The numbers, uh, the numbers section of my brain doesn't work at well, as well as languages, not at all, by the way. Um, so I, I just, uh, I just don't have that knowledge, but I do teach people on how to get that information uh, by, uh, by searching in the right way online. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I always found it fascinating because me, I would never be able to learn Chinese probably because I don't get the symbols. For me, I prefer the numbers. So uh -huh. I, was, uh, I was happy to learn that something like the Chinese commercial code exists. And just for the benefit of the people who don't know actually what it is. So there are four digits, if I'm not mistaken, there are four digits which correspond to different letters. Um, no, they're called symbols, right? <laughs> Each, um, you know, four, four digits correspond to a symbol. And for example, in the wire details, instead of spelling out the symbol in a certain way, they can put some uh, long, long um, sequences of digits that you can try to convert back to the um, symbols and then find out what was really written there. It's pretty interesting how it was developed. I have no idea, but yeah, I, uh -huh. I can imagine that it's a, it's a different, it's a totally different game there. Um, so Skip, can you share with us uh, some interesting examples or cases that you have, something from the course that you're teaching people, something um, attractive Chinese case for us? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so I don't do any uh, financial investigations or compliance investigations or uh, those kind of corporate investigations. I really teach people how to uh, apply those skills. Now, that doesn't mean that I uh, don't learn myself new skills and how to find information. So I always 
uh, stumble upon new websites that actually expose, like I said, those pieces of puzzles um, uh, of the puzzle, because there are a couple of well-known ones that everybody uses, but then when they block, and this happens quite frequently with the uh, the instability of the Chinese internet, it blocks for some time. People often assume that it's forever blocked, but then when you try again a few hours later, it's unblocked or a day later when you play a bit around with a VPN. Now, instead of waiting, uh, uh, I try and find other websites in Chinese in China that offer the same services uh, as a as a backup, right? So as an alternative to some of these uh, these websites, like the 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 biggest, the well most well known one, of course, would be Chitacha. Then there's other ones, and yes, Chenyansha, but that often needs a uh, that's older information. So I try and find alternatives so you can work with that. And I think it's important to work with alternative websites to really compare information which you get on one to another. So uh, I, I do have some cool information uh, uh, examples actually of how it actually does work. What I find gratifying is when people reach out to me after having um, after having uh, participated into the uh, the corporate section of my course on how to find information from uh, Chinese registries, it, when they reach out and say, hey, thanks, uh, thanks to those alternative websites you taught us how to use, we were able to actually make better decisions when uh, when investigating or doing some research in a company, instead of going with company A, we chose to go with another company because there was just uh, it just uh, it just um, looked like a sounder decision to take. That's pretty cool to to get its feedback. Indeed, that's that's really interesting. And um, indeed, I remember that there were so many issues with the corporate registries and. I even remember there were some websites which are for the different um, states uh, or how, how it's, you know, if the company is registered in Shanghai, you can find it in a different place rather than, you know, if it was in um, another state. <laughs> I, I don't have anything in mind now. Um, so, yeah, I think such alternatives are really useful. And um, with rising tensions with uh, the United States and China, between the United States and China, do you think that such skills will get increasingly more relevant, especially when it comes to financial crime compliance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, regardless of if you're dealing with uh, China or another country, uh, I find it very important to do uh, online research. I mean, we live in an age where we can get so much information at our fingertips. Uh, we have the luxury of finding a lot of information online before taking a, a, a decision to go uh, to go to uh, uh, with investments or onboarding people or companies or checking out um, registries. I think it's very important to do uh, your online due diligence with the tools we have. That doesn't mean that there's other big AI tools out there that do the job, that make the job a lot easier for you. Uh, we can talk a bit uh, more about that later. So I do think it's important to spend that time uh, if you're into corporate research and how to do that in different languages. And just to, to uh, touch on that a bit longer, uh, I think it's also important not only to to go and have a look at these corporate registries. I think I always tell people, you know, find a couple of keywords, find the way you write 
a company name in whatever language, Chinese could be, could be Arabic, could be, could be, could be Spanish or whatever uh, company, right? Using that with a couple of other keywords. And I really emphasize uh, whether it's corporate research, academic research is to make vocabulary list of what you're specializing in right now, right? So if you're into corporate research, uh, if that's your bread and butter, make a vocabulary list, right? Try and find those good keywords, not the ones from Google Translate per se. I mean, it's always good to check out Google Translate to verify. But uh, I really I spend a large time of my training teaching people how to find the correct translation of a keyword like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. The word cryptocurrency is going to sound different in French. And it's going to sound different in Dutch or in Polish or in Chinese or Japanese, right? So how do you find those keywords, right? So I always tell people, if you find you're spending a lot of time finding keywords, that means you're doing the right thing, right? The longer you spend time find those good keywords, the better your results are going to be once you're going to start applying uh, those keywords into research because there's a lot to be found about companies, persons, uh, without even going to registries, right? Having a little look around, what do customers say? What's being reported on any um, has anybody reported on a certain company, right? This this can also complement your your research into making or into uh, protecting or advancing your business interest with uh, with any country. In this case, China. Yeah, absolutely. I really like this advice about the keywords. Um, I think it's so important when you are investigating something no matter if it's in the role as you said in a, a compliance or in the academic uh, um, research role that you have a good set of keywords in order to find the right information because there is so much information to be found overall oh definitely like, <laughs> yeah the keywords are really a key <laughs> um, definitely it's like it's like i often compare it to a, a huge haystack and we're always looking for that one needle. Well, in this case, you can look for a couple of needles, but it's all about making that haystack a bit smaller into something more workable. And uh, that's where those keywords really help you in making that that big haystack of uh, of online data smaller and uh, uh, more manual into something you can actually work with. Yeah, and more useful to yourself, you know, to, to find what you're really looking for that. Yeah, that's that's a great comparison there. Um, we we touched a little bit the point of AI, so let's let's see in more depth when we talk about AI and there are so many functions that are being taken by AI and most recently um, ChatGPT, for example, and, yeah. and many other tools. How do you see the future of research then and, and investigations overall? So ChatGPT is a super interesting one. I was introduced to it two weeks ago and I really, it, it, it doesn't happen often that I think, hey, this is interesting, but this was really something that I thought, wow, this this is really something that's going to uh, shake up the, the beginning of the year, right? Or was it the end of last year? Like I said, I'm bad at numbers, uh, Denitza. Uh, <laughs> but going back to your question about uh, AI, right? Um, so I think uh, AI is important with lots of uh, uh, most research we have, right? Of course, it's very different if you're an academic. You may not have the luxury of using AI tools to, uh, to do uh, in-depth research. Uh, it's different if you research for, uh, if you work uh, for financial compliance and stuff like that, when you do have access to those sometimes paid for, but sometimes even free 
uh, platforms. I think it's a mistake to rely, and I see this quite often, or I hear this quite often, that people, uh, there's an over-reliance on having machines do all the researching, right? I kind of compare it to a, I keep doing comparisons. Uh, uh, usually I use food examples, but in this case, this podcast, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sway away from that. Um, I kind of see the an AI like a sledgehammer, uh, but in some cases you have to uh, you have to work with a scalpel. What I mean by that is the AI can do lots of automated automated work, right? But in more inst- most instances, whether it's uh, financial investigations or academic research, whatever you're researching online, doing the groundwork. What I mean by groundwork, really working online with um, advanced search operators, Boolean operators, uh, like we said, keywords, etc. Finding that extra information. So I think. Uh, they complement each other for the same uh, for the, uh, the same way other way around, right? If you over rely on only doing groundwork, only using that scalpel, doing very precise searches online about things, you might miss out on the bigger picture. That's why I think um, uh, when they're used correctly, they both complement each other, and I think that's where uh, uh, that's where the best results are, right? When you combine your AI uh, tools together with your investigative techniques and uh, methodology. I really that, like that comparison and uh, I'm still here from now on about this couple at the Ledge <laughs> Howard. <laughs> Officially okay. announced. So. So, like I so said, usually know. usually I just stick to food examples and cooking with ingredients and big pans. And this time I use a sledgehammer and scalpel, but you just told me that's better than than cooking examples. Okay, I'll, I'll stick to that too then, Denisa. <laughs> Uh, if if you don't like it, I, I can take. I will gladly take it. <laughs> um, yeah, but but I do agree it, and it's really really good comparison of what what's really going on. And um, we should use AI, and it cannot take everything out. I mean, all the heavy lifting and um, all the precise work. It can do a lot, but. It cannot run on its own, right? And what's really key for uh, AI is to provide it with the right command, with the right prompts, right? So if I write something incomplete or I don't have the right keywords there, what I want to find, of course, I'm not going to get what I want to get. Um, so, yeah, um, that, that was that was really great, Skip. Um, thank you very Thanks. much for, you know, joining us today, sharing more information about your course, about China and AI. Um, we certainly look forward to see. I'll include the course links and the show notes. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, let's see who joined them from compliance time. I know you have prepared something special for us. Uh, yeah. So yeah, of course. So uh, uh, shameless promotion. I do have a promo code that will uh, that will give you a discount when registering for any of our courses, whether it's uh, Russian, Chinese, or Arabic, or all the other courses that we offer. I intelligence. If you use the promo code uh, in caps lock, I I N T ten twenty twenty three, that will give you a ten percent discount on when you register for that. So that's the first time I did some shameless promotion. Uh, so we don't only teach online, uh, we teach uh, also in person and we'll I'll be teaching uh, uh, Chinese online research techniques in Paris in March. In the summer, we'll be in Singapore teaching that in English, uh, Chinese uh, online research 
in Stockholm in September and in Washington, D.C. in October for this year. And uh, we'll also be teaching the Russian course for the first time in person in Paris, which will be taught in English. So lots of languages, lots of locations uh, for those who prefer uh, uh, following the courses from uh, their uh, from home. We also teach virtual uh, virtually, like I said. That's really amazing. Thank you very much. I'm hoping uh, I can make uh, one of the meetings uh, there a bit further from Warsaw, but I guess Paris is the one of the closest that um, I can visit. <laughs> Thank you very much again for your time and uh, sharing with us your knowledge. Well, thanks so much, Nitsa. It was my pleasure. It's uh, very thankful to be invited for uh, for this podcast and to represent my intelligence. Uh, Thanks so much. And I'm going to use that example the, about the scalpel and the sledgehammer a bit more often. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Compliance Stand. If you like this episode, remember to give us a five-star review. You can now leave us a voice message or become a super compliance fan and even earn a special reward. Just go to podinbox.com slash compliance stand. That is P-O-D-I-N-B-O-X dot com. If you didn't get that, the link will be in the show notes. Till next week.